The information provided on this podcast does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. Instead, all information, content, and materials available are for general informational purposes only. Welcome to Rights Here, Rights Now, the podcast about disability, advocacy, and activism. I'm your advocate host, Virginia Ferris. And I'm your advocate host, Ren Fazuski. Every two weeks, we dig into relevant issues, current events, and avenues for self-advocacy. Because someone has to. And it might as well be us. This podcast is produced by the Disability Law Center of Virginia, the Commonwealth's Protection and Advocacy Agency for Disability Rights. Find out more at dlcv.org. Ren. Yes. Are you ready? I am very ready. For part two. Electric Boogaloo. Of the, yes, General Assembly, part two, Electric Boogaloo, exactly the words that were about to come out of my mouth. (laughs) Um, Yes, we will, uh, I believe, have Miss Colleen Miller back in our office. Yes, and she's going to talk about some of the, um, what was the phrasing we decided on? Some of the things that we still need to work on. Yes, because even though we had a really great run this this General General Assembly, Assembly, Uh, Not everything that we had hoped got passed, and this is about the things that we are going to be advocating for and uh, trying to make progress on in the future. But before we jump in, let's check out Disability in the News. So, hello, my name's Molly Carter, and I'm the current receptionist and um, administrative assistant for the Disability Law Center of Virginia. A new documentary was recently released on Netflix. Crip Camp is a film produced by former President Barack Obama and his wife, Michelle, and it centers on the origins of the disability rights movement. The documentary features footage from Camp Gen Ed, a summer camp for people with disabilities. Those who attended the camp in the 1970s were instrumental in the protests that led to the passage of the Americans with Disabilities Act. The director of the film, Jim Labrech, said, I think our film is a film that many in the disability community have been waiting for. Obama said, Crip Camp is both a gripping look at the history of the disability rights movement and a timely call to action urging us to explore our own duty to fight for the dignity of all people. Crip Camp is available on Netflix now. We hope you're able to check it out soon. Okay, so today we are welcoming back to our podcast studio, Miss Colleen Miller, your boss and mine, really just mine, <laughs> and also Ren's, uh, uh, Executive Director of the Disability Law Center of Virginia, to talk about um, the General Assembly um, and the things that we're still working on, still advocating for. That's right. Even though the session did end on uh, March 12th, there's still a lot of work to be done. Uh, legislatively, and I'm happy. You mean we didn't we didn't solve everything? We did not solve <laughs> all of the problems for people with disabilities, oh, but we have another chance. We have another chance oh. coming up uh, all too soon in uh, January of 2021. There we go. So soon, yet so far. Yes, indeed. So, Colleen, I have a question. Yes, Virginia. What can I tell you? So, I watched a lot of Schoolhouse Rock, and they never really explained to me. What happens when a bill doesn't become a law? Yeah, that's a jingle we ha- we can start to work on, and maybe you can sing it in the next episode <laughs> on that 
Uh, I'm just a bill. Um, so as, as I noted uh, the last time we got together, the legislature considered about 4,000 different pieces of um, proposed bills uh, and um, resolutions, and that's not even in, uh, to cover the things that they handled in the budget. There's a lot of things in the budget that um, are very, very important to people with disabilities. But of that 4,000 bills and resolutions that they considered, um, there were about 400 that they uh, treated as continued. Mm. And that means that the bill is not officially dead, but the committee has to take some action on it between now and December for it to remain alive. Most of the committees don't meet between now and December. So um, effectively, a bill that's continued to 2021, um, it's pretty hard to keep it alive. It will probably be mm. dead. But a lot of issues that we were very interested in got continued until 2021. Mm -hmm. Other ways that a bill can die is that um, it can just fail to come to the committee at all. And there were several bills that we were really interested in that didn't even come to the committee. One of them concerned uh, eliminating the death penalty for people with serious mental illness. Mm. And that's a bill that's been introduced every year. And this year, did not the committee didn't even hear it at all. Um, so it died that way. Another way that a bill can die is if the committee uh, votes to do what's called pass it by indefinitely. And that is, um, that's a kind of a harsh way to treat a bill that they don't like. Um, but some bills meet that fate. Mm. And then uh, another way a bill can die is uh, if they table it. And um, tabling is just really a more gentle way of killing a bill. They, f they frequently say gently lay it on the table. Um, and that's just um, particularly if a legislator is one that is really well-respected or it's a bill that has got a lot of um, political appeal to it, they may decide to table it rather than to kill it. So to use an analogy for the millennials, they ghosted the bill? <laughs> I wish I knew what that meant, but I'm sure that analogy works. It, okay, it, we'll does, talk work. Later. it <laughs> does work. It does work. So I know last time we talked about some of the bills we were really excited about, seeing what passed and, and, and what we can look forward to. And we talked about some of these bills specifically with guardianship and some of the progress was made there. And I mentioned supportive decision-making, and you made a face. So I'm assuming <laughs> it did not go great for supportive decision-making. You know, it did not go very well. The uh, Last year, the Joint Legislative Audit and Review Committee um, took a look at supportive decision-making and uh, made proposals to the legislature to adopt uh, supportive decision-making. The state bar uh, came out just uh, in strong opposition to it. And um, they, although they hadn't participated in the legislative study in any meaningful way, once the proposal was made to the legislature, they opposed it. Supported decision-making is absolutely something that we as advocates for people with disabilities support and uh, hope that the legislature will take um, under advisement soon. Um, and they are they have continued that bill until 2021. So we do hope that there will be an opportunity to advocate for that next year. Um, supported decision making, as you know, is the way everybody makes decisions. It's the way I make decisions. Whenever I have something to uh, think about that is 
um, beyond anything that I've had experience with or outside my expertise. I turn to my friends who know how to make uh, decisions in that area. I get, uh, you know, turn to my friend Google and <laughs> uh, do research on it. And um, this is the supported decision making just really formalizes those connections that people with disabilities have uh, to help them make decisions that are outside their expertise. I think listeners can keep their ear to the ground for an upcoming episode on supportive decision-making and and other alternatives to guardianship coming in the next couple months. That would be wonderful. Another issue on um, uh, guardianship that did not uh, get off the ground has to deal with protecting individuals' rights to have visitors of their choice. Mm. And uh, this is a a bill that Delegate Levine has uh, Um, offered to the legislature year after year after year. And this past year, he worked really hard to bring all of the different interested groups to the table, uh, invited the state bar to talk about it, felt like he had a good resolution for it. And again, um, at the last minute, the state bar came out in opposition to the bill. The committee that was hearing the bill offered to continue it to 2021, and uh, Delegate Levine... um, Uh, argued against that, um, saying that he did not feel like he was ever going to get agreement from the state bar on uh, the issues. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the committee passed it by indefinitely, took the harsher stand on it, and just defeated the bill. So that was kind of disappointing. Now, I, I do feel the need to point out that if any of our listeners are under guardianship and they feel that they're being um, abused, neglected, or exploited by their guardian, they absolutely have the right to call um, the Adult Protective Services hotline. We will put the link to that number That's great. in our show notes. That's great. And there might be some times when we can help with that, too. We have good resources on our website about supported decision-making and about guardianship rights. So um, that's a good place to start if somebody has some questions about it. Last week, we also talked about some of the really great strides that have been made in the school setting for uh, children with disabilities in our schools. Um, Perhaps maybe there are some areas that didn't Sure. There's yeah. There's still a lot of work that needs to be done Mm -hmm. in that area. Um, One of the issues that the legislature um, looked at and did not take action on has to do with kids with disabilities who are in private placements, Mm -hmm. and so they considered some funding initiatives uh, to allow for um, FAPT funding. Mm-hmm. See if I can remember what that stands for. Yeah, I'm, I'm also going to need you to define private placements for me. Okay, so, yeah, great. So private placements are uh, uh, specialized schools for kids with disabilities. Um, particularly, we see specialized schools for kids with autism mm-hmm. um, who, um, in an ideal world, would be able to be treated with, uh, educated with their peers in a public school. Mm-hmm. Um, but because the public schools are really kind of lacking in the resources to deal with the more complicated disabilities associated with, with autism in particular, um, those kids are f- frequently segregated into private placements. Mm. Sometimes those are residential placements and sometimes they're day placements. Um, uh, but they are segregated from, uh, you know, typically developing students instead. Mm-hmm. Um, and the legislature did consider um, 
a pilot program to transition students from private placement into public schools and considered um, some funding alternatives to enable that to happen, and none of those bills passed. Mm -hmm. So that would be something that we look forward to following in the next year and, and hopefully supporting if we can. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm. Uh, I know that sort of our line at DLCV is that integration is always the goal, and what we want is to see people with disabilities integrated into their communities as full members of that community. So, you know, instead of funding private placements, maybe funding the public schools to be able to better support students with disabilities That's in right. their communities. And one of the and one of the bills that uh, that they were considering was uh, to use some funding from a program called the Family Assessment and Planning Team. And it's uh, state general funds, uh, FAPT is how we uh, call it generally. Um, uh, typically those funds are used to enable somebody to move into private placement. So the legislation uh, was considered to allow people to use that funding to move out of private placement as well. So just to give our listeners a little hope, these are um, proposals that aren't totally off the table. They're just not coming to us this year. That's right. Uh, they were proposals that were made this year, and um, that legislature took the action that they called continued it mm. uh, until 2021. And the one of the places where continuing legislation might actually be effective it has to do with mental health uh, issues in particular. There is a legislative group that meets all year long that's sometimes referred to as the Deeds Commission mm. um, or SJ 47. It was created by a joint resolution in 2014 um, to study mental health needs in the 21st century. And there were several bills that were brought to the legislature this year that were continued to 2021. Um, with a letter to what, what they call with a letter to the Deeds Commission. So um, the bills will remain uh, alive until 2021 because there is an actual legislative group that will be meeting during that time to consider them. Well, um, speaking a little bit of uh, the Deeds Commission, I think that there was some stuff up in the uh, legislature regarding um, the uh, hospital bed registry. That's right. The hospital bed registry was uh, created in 2014 in response to um, a crisis involving a legislator's uh, son. And what the bed registry is supposed to be is um, supposed to be a real-time listing of all private beds that are available uh, to meet psychiatric needs, to meet um, uh, temporary detention needs or uh, commitment needs for people with uh, mental illness. Um, it does not work very well. It's, it's uh, not well-maintained. Mm -hmm. uh, private hospitals are supposed to update it every 24 hours. And uh, frankly, once they yeah. update it, it becomes um, you know outdated within half an hour. Yeah. Um, so there was some legislation this year to um, to change some of the requirements around that. That bill eventually got modified to uh, to be a study to study uh, the um, psychiatric bed registry and find out um, what could be done to improve it. I suspect that study will be done either by the behavioral Department of Behavioral Health or will be done by the Deeds Commission to see if there are improvements that can be made in it. It was, um, it, it was, uh, it came out of the crisis in, in 2013, 2014 as a way of um, the legislature feeling like they had done something. Um, but I think hospitals at that time uh, told the legislature, this is not gonna work. It is not gonna accomplish what you think it's gonna accomplish. Mm -hmm. 
And um, sort of tangential to that, what about mandatory outpatient treatment? Well, that's another issue that will be studied this year um, by the Deeds Commission. There's a, a work group um, that has been looking at the issue. The biggest problem with that work group in recent years has been that there's not been one single solitary consumer of mental health services that has been included in that. And uh, the work group also did not include any advocates for people with disabilities or people with mental illness. That seems like an oversight to mm. me. It, yeah, yeah. Um, the uh, administrators of that work group uh, claimed that it was a, a, just an error, was not an intentional uh, mistake. But I think also that some uh, people out there don't really uh, understand the difference between a consumer of mental health services and a family member of a consumer. They're very different. They are very different. <laughs> they have very, very different uh, interests, very, very different needs. Um, and this work group was loaded with family members, uh, but did not have any actual consumers on the group. So that's one of the objections that we raised and a number of groups raised when uh, some bills were being considered about mandatory outpatient treatment. The, the three bills that were, four bills that were being considered were all continued uh, to 2021. They were referred to the Deeds Commission for study, and the Deeds Commission has, this work group has committed to involving uh, consumers and um, consumer advocates. So hopefully any kind of legislation that comes uh, next year will at least be better informed with consumer mm -hmm. rights. I know, and again, to kind of talking about last time, um, I talked, uh, I brought up the minimum wage, and one of the great things that happened was they removed some pretty icky language. That's right. Um, That's right. But perhaps other things need to be. Uh, well, yeah, one of the one of the issues that we struggle with uh, is in advancing disability rights has to do with these employers that are uh, sometimes called sheltered workshops, and sheltered workshops are permitted under Department of uh, Labor under federal Department of Labor regulations to pay people with disabilities less than minimum wage. Um, often, people with disabilities are paid on a, a productivity scale. There's no other group that is paid based on productivity. And as I like to tell people, there are days in my job that if I'm paid based on productivity, I'm working for free today because I'm just not very productive. <laughs> and then there are days when you could not afford me. I am so productive that, uh, you know, so... So nobody gets paid based on productivity. Um, I can tell you, Colleen, I'm productive every day. Don't you I am worry confident that you are. <laughs> I am confident that you are. But, yeah, I imagine that uh, this whole being paid less than minimum wage, uh, DLCV is not a huge fan. We are not a huge fan. It is a complicated issue um, for some people whose um, ability to work is, is not as advanced as others. Um, the, if there were not sheltered workshops, they would possibly would not be hired um, because somebody uh, who has to be paid at minimum wage and could do the job better um, would be a better choice for an employer to make. So it is a complicated issue. Um, but uh, we are confident that sheltered workshops are going to be a thing of the past uh, in the same way that training centers in Virginia are becoming a thing of the past. There are some sheltered workshops in Virginia that have already very effectively uh, transitioned to competitive employment, and they will be leading the way uh, in Virginia. So that is something that will require some work, will probably require some support at the federal level, um, but, uh, but it's something we are hopeful is going to happen in the coming years.
So in first of all, is there any other legislation that we haven't had an opportunity to talk about yet that you want to um, bring up and inform our listeners about? Well, with respect to uh, people who are deaf or uh, hard of hearing, there was some legislation this year that would require movie theaters to offer a certain number of movies with captioning. Um, there was a bill to offer it with closed captioning, which um, many in the deaf community do not favor. Um, it's very difficult to have a sort of, you'd have to be holding a separate device that would have the mm-hmm. captioning on it. Um, and that bill for closed captioning um, was withdrawn by the patron almost as soon as it was um, uh, published. And then there were two bills to require um, open captioning. And the, the theater, the movie industry, is not, um, not especially in favor of open captioning because they feel like it can distract from the artistic value of the movie to have the, the As I roll my right. eyes to the back of my head. <laughs> well, especially when you're thinking about some not especially artistic movies. Yeah, well, uh, I'm sure the Fast and Furious movies are going to lose all of their artistic integrity yeah. if we put captions. <laughs> well, it, we, we uh, several years ago, required a local theater to offer captioning for uh, one of the Harry Potter movies that was out, and I went to see that. And if it had not been for the captioning, I would have had no idea what was going on. <laughs> so... So it can possibly uh, detract from the artistic value, but there are ways in which it can actually contribute to the value as well. We're Americans. We can't understand British accents. Don't ask that of us. (laughs) (laughs) The legislation uh, was continued to 2021 uh, with the promise that the theater, the movie industry, uh, is going to be conducting a study on the viability of open captioning of movies. And so um, the the prospect is that the study will be done sometime this summer and uh, the legislature can act based on that study. We don't have high hopes for the study because it's being conducted by the industry and we already know the industry is not really in favor of it. Um, but, uh, but that is one of the things that's continued to 2021 and we look forward to working on that. So in terms of these areas and issues that haven't made quite the progress in the legislature that we would want them to, are there things that we can do, that constituents can do, people with disabilities can do to lend their voice to advocate for these things? Sure. So there's a lot of things that our, our fans out there can be doing to help advance these causes. One of them is to learn more about it. So, for example, um, we are really hopeful that we can get some legislation regarding supported decision-making going forward. So listeners out there can go onto our website, to our supported decision-making page, and learn what we're talking about with supported decision-making. We promised uh, a legislative committee that we would produce some materials for them on supported decision-making, explaining what other states have done. And when we do that, we will make that available on our website. And um, that would also um, give our listeners some things to do to help to support it, to to learn more about it, learn how other states have handled it. And um, when when any kind of issue like this comes up that you care about, you should uh, make a personal connection with your own senator or your own delegate. You can go on to Legislative Services website, and we'll have a link on our uh, on our uh, notes page about this. Um, you can go there and type in who is my legislator if you don't know, and you will get their official. Um, uh, government email address, uh, mailing address, um, and way to contact them um, to just 
say that you're interested in this issue or you support this issue. You can also work with your uh, local um, peer-run organizations, particularly groups like uh, like Vocal uh, is a great uh, peer-run organization for people with mental health mm-hmm. issues. Um, the ARC um, is uh, great for people with uh, intellectual and developmental disabilities. Um, make those kinds of connections and find out uh, how they are approaching these issues and support them in that. Um, and, and, you know, just track our Facebook page, um, track DLCB's legislative highlights, um, and continue to learn more about these issues and become advocates. Well, thank you again so much for joining us. This has been, uh, again, the first two-parter of Yay. the Rights Your Rights Now podcast, so you should feel so blessed. I am. I am. <laughs> oh, how lucky are I? <laughs> So thank you again for educating us. I'm happy to be here, and thanks for doing this podcast. And now for a DLCV highlight. Did you know Social Security benefits can change when you turn 18? Well, that was the subject of Social Security Disability Clinic consultation provided by DLCV's Social Security expert, Elizabeth Horn. And it was conducted in person using the Zoom video platform, so the family didn't need to leave the comfort of their home in Southwest Virginia. This young man now knows what to apply for and how to use the benefits as he pursues college and beyond. More clinics to come this spring. Check out our homepage for an announcement and register at www.dlcv.org. Well, again, thank you to our esteemed and fearless leader for coming down and chatting with us about legislative stuff. Yeah, there is still work to be done, guys, so make sure you are checking out our website for all of the legislative highlight comprehensive information and um, follow us on social media because we post a lot of like updates and opportunities for activism there. Yeah, definitely check us out. We always post the legislative highlights. That's where you get the real meat of what we talked about Mm -hmm. today, particularly like the bill numbers. That's going to just bog the podcast down. So uh, yeah, go ahead and give us a follow. Thank you all for listening to this episode of Rights Here, Rights Now, brought to you by the Disability Law Center of Virginia. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. If you need assistance or want more information, like let's say about the General Assembly and the legislature, uh, visit us online at dlcv.org. And follow us on Twitter at DisabilityLawVA and share us with your friends. Until next time, I'm Ren Fazuski. And I'm Virginia Ferris. And this has been Rights Rights Here, Rights Rights Now. Now.